welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. In chapter 5 of John, he just mentions there's a major feast. And Jesus went to Jerusalem for that feast. Not telling us which one. Now there, there have been commentators who have speculated on which feast it was and they've, they've tried to do some scriptural dancing to, to put, okay, that's not the point of our lesson today. So we're not gonna worry about which feast it was. What we need to understand is Jesus was back in the city of Jerusalem because he was coming to celebrate one of those major feasts. And as he arrives in Jerusalem, he enters the city through one of the northeast corners uh, uh, of the uh, gate at the northeast corner of the old city. And this is a map of the old city uh, of Jerusalem today. Okay, And right here, it, today it's called the Lion's Gate. But at the time of Jesus, it was called the Sheep Gate. Same gate. Actually... Uh, in the time around the Byzantine era, it was called St. Stephen's Gate. So it's, it's had three names down through, down through history. Okay? When Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, it was called the Sheep Gate at that time. And historians speculate that one of the reasons it was called the Sheep Gate was because that was where they brought the sheep in to the sheep market, which was right there. As you can see, it's right near the Temple Mount. And so people uh, could come and purchase their lambs there that they wanted to offer for sacrifice. This was especially so at the time of Pentecost. And that's one of the reasons some of them speculate that this may have been the Pentecost feast because Jesus was coming to the sheep gate to buy, to buy his, his lamb that he's going to offer. That's all speculation. We have no evidence of that. Uh, but what we do know is that just as you enter this gate right here, and of course this is the east, here's the eastern gate that comes right into the Temple Mount, at that time it did. It, today it's, it's been bricked up by the Muslims uh, centuries ago, they bricked the east gate up so that Jesus Christ couldn't come back again because they know when he comes back again, he's going to enter by the eastern gate. So they thought if they bricked up the eastern gate, he couldn't come back again got news for him if he can roll away the stone and walk out of the grave really you think those bricks are gonna anyway never mind okay anyway but right here on this map is a major pool that was called the pool of bethesda that scripture says it had five porches uh, this is this is a picture of the excavation work that is going on there that uh, uh, is uncovering uh, that ancient pool. And, uh, and it, it, is, it is huge and very, very deep. And uh, uh, those five porches that was there at the pool of Bethesda uh, was filled with, uh, or if you want to call them balconies, five balconies. They were filled with lame people, sick people, diseased people, 
that were there at the pool of Bethesda. Now, why would sick people come there? Well, because they, they, there was this, this belief that uh, uh, periodically an angel from heaven would come down into the pool and stir the water. And whenever the water was stirred, the first person that would get into the water after the angel had stirred the water would be healed. Okay? So when Jesus entering through the sheep gate, he goes to the pool of Bethesda. And as he walks into the pool of Bethesda, now there are tons of people there. But there's one man in particular that caught the attention of Jesus. This man had been lame for 38 years. And, uh, and each day he's come there and he's laid there at the pool. And as Jesus comes into the pool area, instead of going to all the other dozens or hundreds of people that were there, we're not told exactly how many, just that there were a lot of people there. He goes directly to this man that's been lame for 38 years and he asks him, would you like to be healed? And the lame man answers him in a very curious way. And honestly, I think it's kind of the way many of us pray. Jesus asks him, would you like to be healed? He goes, sir, there's no one to help me. And every time the angel stirs the water and I make my way there, someone gets into the water before I get there. So, of course, they're healed. He's not, right? 38 years this has been going on. Now, I can't imagine that because my thought is 38 years. Well, by the third year, I would be within a half inch of the water. But, you know, that's, that's my thinking, right? But his answer, isn't it a curious answer? He doesn't say, yeah, I want to be healed. He goes, there's no one to help me. What an answer. And I think sometimes our prayers... Aren't God heal me? God change this now. It's it, it's not a direct faith filled authoritative prayer. It's a oh God, could you do something? I love Jesus' answer to him. Jesus' answer is, "You are healed. Take up your bed and walk." And the guy does. Immediately strength comes to this guy and he takes up his bed and he walks. 38 years he's been sick and instantly he is healed. You think he got excited? Wouldn't you love to have been a bug on the wall watching what goes on here? I mean, I can just see this guy just going around to the people. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. You know? (laughs) Awesome, right? Some people didn't think so. Now, can you can you pop back two slides for me to the map? Because uh, there's something important that they need to see. So here's the pool of Bethesda, right? And here is the major road that comes down past the Fort of Antonio. By the way, this is the part of where Jesus began walking. Because here's the Fort of Antonio where he was flogged and he was tried and, and where he was sentenced to crucifixion. So just just down the road from the pool of Bethesda. But notice, just across this way is the Temple Mount, right? 
And so this guy, he's all excited. And, and he's going around. Can't you just see? He goes over to the temple and goes, I'm healed. You see this? I'm healed. I mean, he's excited. People are offended. What are you doing? Carrying your mat on the day, on the Sabbath day. Because it was a Sabbath day when Jesus healed him. And they're, they're not excited that this guy who had been lame for 38 years is healed. They're mad because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. And yet, what do we know? We know the law said on the Sabbath day, if you've got an ox or a lamb or a sheep that falls in a ditch or, or gets stuck in a thicket, get them out. Don't leave them there. Get them out, right? Here's the man that's been lame for 38 years. Jesus got him out of the ditch. Come on. And they're mad because he's carrying his mat around. They're not excited and and blessed that he's healed. They're mad because he's carrying his mat around. Oh, I don't get it. But folks, that's what religion does. That's right. Boy, there'll just be some some people. Boy, they've got Jesus. It's like they're mad all the time. You go, man, are you born again? If so, you need to notify your face. You need to notify your voice. It's just... Because they, and they're just always critical and judgmental. There's no joy in their experience. Something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. Because Holy Spirit is a spirit of love, joy, and peace. Amen. Amen? So, and, and how bummed. But while he's in the temple trying to get people excited, because he's excited, Jesus comes to him again. Now, here's what's going on. So he's in the temple. People are going, why are you doing carrying your mat? He goes, well, the man who healed me told me to carry my mat. Who was he? Well, the guy didn't know. Because as soon as he was healed, Jesus disappeared. And so the guy had no clue who it was. Just that, man, some guy after 38 years, I'm walking. And he said, take up my mat. I'm taking up my mat. I'm walking. And Jesus comes to him in the temple. And as Jesus, thank you, you can go back to that third slide for me now. As Jesus meets him in the temple, Jesus says to him, see, you're whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you. And this guy, this guy, it... He's never mentioned again in scripture. We don't know how his life went. I like to think he became one of the many disciples that followed Jesus. He had, Jesus had many disciples, not just the 12. The 12 were the significant ones that he was pouring leadership into. And 11 of them are going to become apostles. But he had many people that followed with him. He had this entourage that was with him everywhere. Can't you just believe this guy? This guy's got to be one of them. Many months later, an experience takes place again in the temple that I briefly mentioned to you last week. And and if you know the story, you've probably heard it many times. I know you heard it last week. But it's worth talking about again because it is so significant. And the message it carries is so powerful. So if you're really familiar with this story, I'm going to ask you to listen extra close today and let the message of this story impact your heart. Because it's the story 
of one morning when Jesus went to the Temple Mount very early. And as he gathered there, people gathered with him. And so he sat on the steps of the Temple Mount that are on the south side of the temple, between the temple and the city of David. And and he sat there on those steps and he began teaching them. And while he was teaching them, there came a commotion in the crowd. And out of the crowd came some lawyers and Pharisees. And they're dragging a woman with them. And they come right in front of Jesus. And they push her in the front so that she's right in front of Jesus. And they say to Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now that, it's really early in the morning and they catch her in the very act of adultery. Now that always causes me to have a question. How did they know who she was and where she was? Anyway, that's, I mean, Jerusalem at that time was a city of a million people. So it was, that's like, that's like in Portland, you know? Anyway, we, we, we won't speculate on that either. Doesn't that just kind of raise your... Religious politics drive me crazy. And that's what's going on here. Because see, they, they think they're going to trap Jesus. Because as they push her up to him, they say, now the law of Moses says, stoner. What do you say? See, and they, they think that they have... Him trapped, right? Because if he says, oh yeah, yeah, stoner. They're going to go, wait a minute. You teach love. You teach love and forgiveness of sin. You know, and, and so they, they've caught him in a contradiction, they think. On the other hand, if he says, oh no, you need to love her and forgive her. Then they're going to say, oh, oh, you're a heretic. You're violating the law of Moses, right? So they think they've got him trapped. Jesus does something very curious. While they're talking, he kneels down and he begins writing in the sand. And scripture says he's writing in the sand and acting as if he didn't hear them. And so they keep on talking, accusing this woman, affirming the law of Moses, talking about how righteous they are and how they, you know, they're the leaders and this woman needs to be judged. And Jesus is just writing in the sand. Pretty soon he stands up and he looks at them and he says, the one among you who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he kneels back down and he continues writing in the sand. And he just continues writing in the sand. Doesn't say anything more. But, but, but pretty soon there's movement in the crowd. And the scripture says, the eldest of the Pharisees leaves first and then the next ones until finally all of the Pharisees and the lawyers have left and the woman is left standing there alone and so Jesus stands up and looks at her and he says woman where where are your accusers and she says no one here Lord And then Jesus says these amazing words to her. Neither do I condemn thee. 
go and sin no more. Now think about, think about this for this woman and how powerful this is for this woman. Because Jesus knows this woman. He knows everything about her. He knows who she is. He knows the life she's been living. I mean, the lawyers and the Pharisees made certain he had all the detail. But of course, he knew her before she ever showed up, right? He is God. And the scripture says he knew the hearts of men and women and what was in their heart. Jesus knows everything about her. But he's not giving her condemnation. He's giving her love and mercy and grace. She deserves condemnation, but he's giving her love, mercy, and grace. And with that love, mercy, and grace, he's extending to her forgiveness of everything she's ever done. That's amazing. And it's the same for you. Almighty God, he knows everything in your life, but he doesn't want to give you judgment. He doesn't want to give you condemnation. What Father's heart is, he wants to give you love, mercy, and grace. He loves you so much. And he sees the brokenness of your heart. He sees the brokenness of your life. He sees how how men and women have trampled on you. He sees everything about your life. He knows the stupid decisions and choices that you've made that has brought personal destruction in your life. He knows all of that. But he doesn't want to give you judgment and condemnation. His love and his mercy wants to give you grace. And with that grace, forgiveness and cleansing from everything you've ever done wrong. Powerful this encounter with this woman. But what's really interesting, if, if you think about it carefully, that's the same thing he said to the man that had been lame for 38 years. Sin no more. Sin no more. In other words, I'm forgiving you of your sins. Sin no more. But did, did you catch the deeper message that Jesus gave to both of these people? Did did you catch the deeper message that he's speaking to them? Listen again to what he said to the man who had been lame for 38 years. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Well, it's the same thing he said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Look here, go and sin no more. What's the deeper message? The deeper message is forgiveness of your sin is not the culmination. That's not the zenith. Oh, good. All my sin is forgiven now. Well, that's not the finality. That's the inauguration. That's not the the finality. That's the inauguration. That's the beginning. Now, launch into this life because you've been called to holiness. 
Go and sin no more. See, that's, that's the message the Apostle Paul, same message the Apostle Paul was giving to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 6, he begins the chapter with this rhetorical question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God's love, mercy, and grace has brought us forgiveness. So let's, let's continue in sin. I mean, because we're in grace, right? He says, God forbid. New American translation says it this way. New American standard says, may it never be. <laughs> God forbid. Why? He says, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Oh, we're dead to sin? See, forgiveness of sin is the beginning. It's the beginning. It is, it is our, we receive forgiveness of sin, right? Because we identify that when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, our life of sin was crucified with him, right? And so we could be forgiven of everything because Jesus paid the, the ransom for our sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died in our place. He took our place on the cross, right? Oh, that's not everything. He was taken down off that cross and wrapped in grave clothes and buried in a grave also, right? So your sin wasn't just crucified on the cross with Jesus. Your life of sin was buried with Jesus to live no more. And when he walked out of that grave, you walked out with him to live in newness of life. We're dead to sin. We're to live in newness of life. And so Jesus says to both of these people, Go and sin no more. I've forgiven your sin. You're free from that. Go and live a whole new life now. And that's what the apostle continues on in Romans chapter 6. In what I like to call the Romans 6.11 principle. Actually it takes up verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. Let me share that principle with you in a nutshell. Okay. Don't have time to take this in real detail. Maybe we can do that another time. But let me give it to you in just a thumbnail. In Romans 6, 11, he says, Reckon ye therefore yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, okay. Okay, so I'm supposed to see myself as a whole new creation in Jesus Christ, right? And then he says this next verse. Let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Okay, so not only are we to identify that we're dead to sin and alive to God, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Whose job is that? That's ours. God did everything necessary to free us from sin. Now we have a personal responsibility. Don't let sin be the king of your life. Don't let it be the one in authority. But it doesn't stop there. Neither yield ye your members unto sin. But yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body and don't yield the members of your body to sin. 
hands, feet, eyes, tongue, ears, all the other members of your body. Don't yield them to sin. Don't yield them to unrighteousness. How come? Listen to verse 14. I love this. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. See, God has made it possible for us to live holy lives. And so forgiveness of sin is the beginning. And then we're supposed to live a holy life from that point on. Now this is in full agreement with what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 4. When he says, now listen, he says, I know how you're walking. I want to encourage you to continue walking in that. Because God has not called us to uncleanness but unto holiness. It's a calling. Just like God's called you to come to him to receive forgiveness of sin, God's called you now to live your life in holiness. Now, that's what he's talking about in first, or Second Peter chapter one, where we've been studying for several months grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue remember that called to glory and virtue called to virtue whereby are given to us succeeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust all we're supposed to escape sin and then he says this giving all diligence therefore add to your faith virtue call to virtue add to your faith virtue so God We've received the forgiveness of our sin. Jesus lives in our life. But now we must be willing to respond to his call to holiness. Because the word virtue, it actually has a very compound meaning. But its most basic meaning is moral excellence. We're going to get into that a little bit more next week. But what you need to understand this morning is we're called to moral excellence. Now this is absolutely upside down to what our culture is all about. Our culture lives by how we feel, right? How we feel. How we feel. Well, I just feel... (laughs) You know, I was counseling with a person one time. They said, well, but I just feel like, and I said, but scripture says, no, I know, but this is how I feel. So how you feel trumps scripture. Well, it's not supposed to, but in a culture that has been trained that right and wrong is relative And so we live by how we feel. I mean, we live in a culture today that even your gender can be based on how you feel. Really? So, 
how you feel. But wait a minute. Feelings are incredibly subjective. Right? And God, God understands that. Because God knows feelings are very subjective, God gave to us a standard of absolute right and wrong. And holiness is choosing to live by the fact there really is a right and there really is a wrong. And I once lived by wrong. I once lived by sin. But Jesus has forgiven me of my sin and he's given me a new life. So listen, I'm going to choose to live by right and not by wrong. I'm going to make that choice in my life. It's a choice. But let's also acknowledge this. You ready? We can't. That's, that's, what, that's what Romans chapter 7 is all about. Paul goes, I've made this choice to live by right, but I keep doing the thing I don't intend to do. Yeah. Ever been there? Yeah. Only like a hundred times in your life. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've made the choice. I'm going to live right. But man, there's something inside me that keeps choosing to do wrong. It's, it's kind of like, it's kinda like I, was, was your son or daughter like ours we we had special vases and decorative things that our kids knew they were not supposed to touch and we trained them from the time they were really little not to touch and you know by the time they start crawling and they become rugrats and then by the time they start stumbling around and holding on to things you know you know then then they start getting into exactly where they weren't supposed to get right and so you tell them you don't touch that. No. And in our house, they got their hands slapped. Oh, I know. We were horrible, mean parents. <clears throat> cool thing is, though, we raised kids that knew how to do right. And you know, by the time they were 11, I never had to spank my kids again. I never had to really severely discipline them again. Isn't that, isn't, what a, a novel idea. <clears throat> but here's what they would do. They'd be standing there and they would be looking at you and I'm literally, they'd be looking at you and their fingers are walking along the tabletop and you go, really? Really? (laughs) You slap their hand again. You turn to walk away and out of the corner of your eye, you're watching. Really? Really? Come on. We all identify, don't we? Only as big people, we don't walk fingers, we walk feet. And, and, and God's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? You've got to make the choice. But listen, listen closely. The ability to walk in holiness is rooted in God's divine legal declaration and impartation when when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior the blood of Jesus Christ washed you and cleansed you and God forgave you and destroyed the records this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days saith Lord I put my law in their hearts on their minds will I write them and their sin and iniquity I will remember no more on their 
I'll put my law in their hearts, on their minds while I write them. Remember those words. We're going to need those this week and next week. But God destroyed the records. As far as God is concerned, you've never done that. And so God made a divine fiat. A divine declaration that judicially said, you are just as if you had never sinned. That's the biblical term you'll see in the New Testament, justification. Just as if you'd never sinned. God declares you to be just as if you'd never sinned. But he did something else. He not only declared you to be just as if you'd never sinned. God made a divine impartation. He imparted to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Which makes you perfectly holy. You can't be any more holy. Because God imparted to you the righteousness of Jesus. Legally. You are completely holy. That's why you could be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he could impart the Holy Spirit into your life. You're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where where it used to be that the Holy Spirit and God's glory could only dwell above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Now you are the Holy of Holies. And God puts his Holy Spirit and his glory in you. How come? Because judicially you have been declared the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't be any more holy. (laughs) But then you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed. Now we've got a problem. Amen? You've, You've heard the story about the guy who one morning said, this is an amazing day. God, thank you. This is an amazing day. I've not said anything wrong. I've not done anything wrong. I've not been angry and misused my tongue. I've not misbehaved in any way. This is an amazing day. God, thank you. But I'm just about to get out of bed. (laughs) Right? We've all been there. So what do you do with that? That's where you make the choice. You have to make the choice to cooperate with Holy Spirit and with the righteousness God has given you. You have to make the choice to cooperate with that on a daily basis. That's, that's the term scripture calls sanctification. Sanctification has a twofold work to it. It has the work over here. You are a sinner. You've been forgiven. You've been justified. And almighty God has imparted to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he set you apart for holy living. And this is where you are judicially. You're seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places for holy use exclusively. But then you have to make the choice to cooperate with that. It's a choice. Someone choose. And and, and you, you start off like a little child and you grow in that. And the longer you walk with Jesus the more consistently you walk in it. Your daily behavior begins matching what God has judicially declared you to be. But it starts with a decision. I'm going to live that way. I'm going to walk that way. I'm going to consciously make that the way I live my life. The things I once did, I don't want to do anymore. I want to learn to do the new things that are in Jesus Christ. And make that choice to live holy. Now, I want to I pause. I'm going to ask you to pause your heart 
in the presence of Almighty God. That starts with a decision where you say, Lord Jesus, I love you so much. I want to obey you and keep your commandments. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, it's not out of a legalism now. It's out of a love relationship. I love you so much. I want to live a holy life. Jesus, I know myself. And I'm going to need your power. I'm going to need your ability to help me do that. I need your grace to help me do that. I can't do that on my own. But Jesus, teach me and train me. Jesus, teach me. It's a commitment that you make. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at